Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Chatting with the Lightkeeper. And as always, I'm Edward. I am the host of this wonderful, amazing podcast. Uh, at least I think it's wonderful and amazing. Um, well, maybe it's not quite all that, but for me, it's a fantastic way to allow my creative juices to have an outlet. One of the one of kind of the many ways I navigate the kink world and have an outlet is through podcasting, writing, blogging, and, you know, my little presence on social media. So um, speaking of social media, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, in a way it is, uh, in a way it's a bad thing. Um, I had my first um, person that sort of created an account on Instagram, uh, I guess in a way trying to fake being me. Um, I don't know whether that's their objective or not, but their, their profile was very, I don't know, kind of sort of a knockoff of mine and they used a name similar to mine, um, at least the last name of vocal. Um, so of course they have denied my friend request. However, they've like friend requested like everyone that um, follows me on Instagram, it seems like. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see. I don't know if that's a sign that uh, I have some popularity, that somebody would want to impersonate me on Instagram, if you will, um, or not. Um, but uh, that was kind of the exciting news there. The other exciting thing that has happened in my life is, well, it's home ownership. Um, it is a wonderful thing. I love having my house. I've had it for a while now, but thing is, there's always something, always something that needs to be fixed, needs to be updated. And then there are, of course, those random things that break when you least expect them. And this week I had the random breakage happen and it was my kitchen sink. And when it happened, it was, of course, spraying water everywhere, but where it should. Um, and that was out of the faucet, but it was going everywhere. It kind of reminded me, if any of you are fans of the old movie Breakfast at Tiffany Tiffany's with um, oh, Audrey Hepburn, who is one of my favorite favorite actors of all time. She is absolutely amazing. And whenever I get a chance to see one of her movies, normally on Turner Classic Movies, I make it a point to tune into it. I just enjoy them. Um, and her co-star in that, um, even if you haven't seen the movie, you might be of an age where you've seen the A-Team reruns. I'm not talking about the A-Team movie that came out, um, I don't know, fairly recently, or in the recent past, um, without the original cast. Um, but the the guy who played the leader of the A-Team back in that uh, series with Mr. T um, was George Papard, and he was the co-star in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and there's a scene where Audrey Hepburn is making popcorn and the popcorn is going everywhere in the kitchen. And rather than having popcorn going everywhere, I had water. So thankfully I um, was adept and knew enough on how to turn the water off and thought I could fix just a few washers to fix the problem. Turns out I get to um, head to the home improvement store in a little while and pick out a new fixture and install that. So that is going to be thrilling. Uh, while I love doing things around the house, I think I'm a great at like painting and it's just general sort of handiness. The where areas that I suffer in 
um, are electrics, um, which probably qualifies me to work at an Italian car company because their electrics are always, always wonky. Um, perhaps that's why Fiat means fix it again, Tony. Um, not stereotyping named Tony as being Italian, but many Italians are named Tony. Um, that's where it comes from. But um, that and um, electrical stuff, not my forte, and plumbing stuff is not my forte. So I think I'm going to probably um, find new and fun ways to use the F word later while I'm trying to hook this up. I hope it goes smoothly. You know, it looks all easy and smooth the way they show you on on YouTube and all that stuff, but it never always seems to work that way for me. There's always like one sticking point, one thing that causes an issue. So that's that's the excitement of my life, uh, you know, having um, sort of a decorative waterfall in the kitchen thanks to my sink. Thankfully, I was there when it happened, so I caught it before there was any, you know, water damage to anything, but it was just kind of looking back comical now. Which I guess of all the ways I could look at this, looking at it as something comical is is a good thing. So this week on the podcast, we are going to rock and roll. And I, I'm not going to sing. Um, there will be no singing on my end. Um, and there's probably not going to be a whole lot of rocking. Um, but we are going to talk about some roll. And the roll is not roll like, you know, rock and roll, but roll. Like, what role are you in the lifestyle? Are you a dominant? Are you a submissive? You know, what's your what's your role? And I think it's important that we talk about this, especially if you are newer or exploring the lifestyle, because there are so many different roles now. And that is fantastic, because when I first started exploring the lifestyle, there was the triad. You had you had three three labels. You were either dominant, you were submissive, or you were a switch. And now there are so many sort of sub-lineages. And, you know, thanks to the wonderful joys of COVID, I now have the word sub-lineage sub -lineage, lineage in my lexicon of words, um, for better or worse. Um, you know, like a dominant can be a daddy, or they can be... Um, a sensual dom or you know there's all sorts of you know brat tamer dominance and then submissives there's there's alpha submissives there's little girls there's baby girls uh you know there's all sorts of things that kind of go under the submissive heading um unfortunately switch is still kind of just vague um with switch there's not a whole lot of differentiators that have attached to that and real quickly, I do want to touch on how this evolution, um, sort of beyond the traditional triad, if you will, has come about. And it's come about because we like we like to be able to identify. We like to know what we are. As humans, we, for better or worse, like to put labels on things. And while I'm not a big fan of putting labels on people, I just do not. But in the lifestyle, you if you're wanting to meet others, you kind of need to have some identifiers. Um, and so, you know, we have all these roles. And the identifiers are good things because they help, especially if you're seeking, you know, you, if you're a submissive looking for a dominant, you're not going to want to invest a ton of time getting to know somebody absolutely amazing. And then uh, through the 
discovery process, they're submissive as well by being able to attach the label and say that, you know, I'm Joe Blow and I'm submissive. Um, you know right away whether you want to pursue the perhaps romantic getting to know you versus the, yeah, let's, let's see if we can't be friends. So rather than go through all the different roles and the sub-lineages um, therein and make it sound like I'm reading from a, a kinky dictionary, perhaps a kinktionary, um, I'm going to try and keep it sort of general without getting into all the sub-lineages just because we would be here until next week when the next podcast would drop and we would still be talking about roles, especially now that the lifestyle has opened up and, and we sort of have, um, you know, different sort of ethical non-monogamy as a part of the, you know, whether you're poly or whether you're a swinger or whether you are a submissive hot wife or a dominant hot wife or a hot husband, you know, all these all these lineages we could go on and on and on for. So we're going to keep it simple. We're going to talk about um, dominance. And I'm going to share with you just a quick thought of, to me, what a dominant is. And a dominant is a person who likes to consensually lead components of a relationship. And a submissive is somebody who is a strong, capable person who, if they choose to have a partner, they want a partner that will consensually lead certain aspects of that relationship. In a switch is somebody who can be either dominant or submissive. And with switches, it probably seems a little confusing, but typically a switch will find the role with their person or people based on how they click with them, how their vibe is, whether the other person sort of gives them the, I want to submit to that person or I want to dominate that person. Um, it's not indecision or what side of the bed they woke up on. No, nothing like that. It's just how they connect with people allows them to often very seamlessly move between a dominant or a submissive role. And then we have these other two terms, which I think are fantastic. And in the lifestyle, we should use them more. They are top and bottom. And what a top and bottom typically refers to is a top is somebody who, during lifestyle play, they take the dominant role. They like to be in charge during playtime. And a bottom is the opposite. They like to take the submissive role during play. But top and bottom also means typically, it doesn't always, but typically means outside of playtime, they are not really into the whole power exchange for the rest of the relationship. The power exchange thing for them is during play, when it's time for a little kinky coitus or maybe some spanking or what have you. Uh, they are going to take the dominant role or the submissive role. Um, that's why you'll see people who will classify themselves perhaps as submissive to another person, but a rope top. And what that means is when they like to do naughty things with rope, 
and um, and that's naughty, naughty, um, like tying knots. Um, they like to be the person doing the tying up, um, but yet in their relationship, they are submissive. Um, so you can have all those different fluctuations, but top and bottom are great identifiers um, for those people who like a certain role during playtime, but the rest of the lifestyle or power exchange just probably isn't their jam. It could be, but more than likely it isn't. And then finally, we're going to come to my least favorite two identifiers. And let me preface this by saying, if you didn't already know, I am a history nerd. I love history. And specifically, the area that has fascinated me since I was really in elementary school was the American Civil War. And what has always been the fascinating thing, and it wasn't the unique and amazing personalities of, of somebody like Abraham Lincoln um, or Ulysses Grant. Um, it wasn't that that draw me to it. Um, I could not and still cannot get my head around this all these years later. Uh, how somebody, especially since in the American South, they pretty much everybody, except for Thomas Jefferson, perhaps, um, but pretty much everyone who owned slaves identified as like a devout Christian. And as a Christian, how could you own another person? I just like, I still can't understand how that mentality happens or works. And so master slave is part of the, the lexicon of BDSM. And I just somehow think as a lifestyle, we could somehow find better terms. Because when I hear the term slave, that's where my history brain goes. It goes back to wretched slave quarters and and wicked and evil ways that these people exploited other people. And just, yeah, and, and even today, I mean, even today we have human trafficking where in the most modern and beautiful countries of the world, we still have people that are slaves, that are held against their will, uh, oftentimes, you know, involved in the sex trade. And it's, it's to me, it's a disgusting word and one that somehow in the lifestyle we should be able to better, you know, choose a better word, you know, ditch master, ditch slave, and, and find something else. Um, yeah. So, okay, my, I'm going to put my put my historical soapbox away, and a lot of people will ask, what is the difference between a dominant submissive relationship and a master slave relationship? And oh, I think the movie was the the Spinal Tap movie where. Uh, the one band member jokes that they like this brand of amp because they can turn it up to 12 rather than 10 on the other amps and it doesn't make it any louder. It just, um, and this character's mind was, they were thinking because it said 12 rather than 10, it was louder. Um, but in a way, you're turning up the power exchange um, to that 12. Uh, everything is sort of amplified. Um, you know, in a typical DS relationship, we have the dominant and the submissive, and there's very 
you know, negotiated boundaries. Uh, the power exchange is present, um, but it's not something that, for example, is the all that there is through not all that there is through that that's um, that's wrong wording on my point um but i guess the best way to say it is in an ms relationship uh the dynamic tends to have obviously it's consensual consent has not been removed uh, but the the dominant partner has a higher level of control typically going beyond uh, perhaps specific scenes or activities like NDS, but it's really becoming comprehensive and really covering almost all aspects of the submissive partner's life. It's not just uh, sort of BDSM related. It's it's carrying over into the vanilla world. Not that they're wearing a sign or that you could identify somebody in an MS relationship when you're at the grocery. It's just there's often more protocols. Um, the dominant person will have more control of day-to-day -day decisions, day-to-day -day decisions and decision-making. It's much more intense. And once again, Consent and negotiation are present there. It isn't that these uh, folks in these relationships, uh, especially on the submissive side, are just sort of giving over uh, more control than a, a typical DS relationship. Everything is still happening with negotiation and consent. And in fact, um, it might even be a touch more critical um, in an MS dynamic. Um, but it's just, once again, it's more comprehensive and it covers so much more um, of the submissive partner's life. Um, and also, DS relationships tend to be kind of more fluid than an MS relationship. Um, in DS, um, a lot of times there's fluidity based on what is happening. I dropped, I dropped my pen, so excuse me just a moment while I pick up my pen. And it's not that I'm writing. It's just a toy that I'm playing with while I'm talking because I tend to talk with my hands. And if I'm holding a pen, it helps for me knocking my microphone over. Um, so excuse me just a minute while I reach down and pick up the pen. All right. The pen has been picked up, and I won't go knocking the microphone over. But... Uh, MS relationships are much more structured. There's um, not the not so much of a flow dictated by what's going on in each partner's life. It is a very structured dynamic. Um, you often see a lot of protocols um, that that happen in MS relationships much more so. Um, than DS. Um, also, MS relationships tend to be um, a bit more service orientated, um, where the, the the more submissive partner is going to be wanting to be of service um, to their their dominant partner. And also, typically, once again, these are negotiated. But once again, there's um, sort of the obedience, the following the lead, if you will, of the dominant partner. 
is, you know, turned up to 12. Uh, there's a deeper commitment um, to the, the dominant partner's authority. The other thing you will also often see is if you have uh, an MS relationship that is poly, there is uh, more than, you know, the traditional two people involved, there will be a defined hierarchy where, and this is kind of where the, the Greek alphabet comes in. This is where alpha submissive sort of first came to light, and it was just, it was how the hierarchy was, was deemed. Um, in an MS relationship, the alpha is going to be the person who is in charge when the dominant or master is not, for example, available. They would be tasked with making decisions for the others beneath them in the hierarchy um, when the, the dominant partner, the dominant above all, is not there. So there's often, if there's a polydynamic there, there's often a very structured hierarchy as well. Now, there is nothing wrong if an MS relationship is your jam. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but if you're newer and you're thinking this might be my jam, please understand that to build a successful DS relationship takes time. To build a successful MS relationship is going to take even more time. Um, I was recently chatting with, with a friend of mine who uh, they identify as this is what they want. Um, and they are unpartnered and they're on the submissive side. And they were saying that really for them, and it's just one person's opinion, but it's, it's very commonplace. It really takes once sort of the partners have connected and started to build, it takes a year before that MS dynamic can even start to become incorporated. It's a very, very slow, very gradual. It takes a lot of time. And even that for them at the one year point into a relationship, it is just beginning. That MS uh, dynamic is just starting out after about a year. And it's somebody who has experience in this. So, you know, it's much more so than I did. And it really makes sense that something this intense would take longer than a traditional DS relationship to blossom and bloom and for that power exchange to really start to grow into what it could become. The other thing I want to say while we're talking about this, especially online, there are a lot of people typically, and I say this typically, there are examples otherwise, but typically it's men who take the title of master. Now, I grew up, obviously, back when it was the traditional triad. You were Dom, Sub, or Switch, and everything was much um, less evolved than it is now. I'm very glad things have evolved, but the use of master online, especially online, is something that I think everyone needs to kind of, when we see it, sort of put up a little wave our little red flags and say, this could be a red flag. Uh, in the traditional olden days, when it was just the triad, there were two ways a person could earn, if you will, the title of master. Uh, the first was they had a partner 
and in their partnership, master was what they were called. Now, that doesn't mean that anybody else had to address that person as master or mistress. Um, it just meant in their partnership, that's what they were. And with that being the case, you know, they were a master. And the other way, which I've always thought is and would be an amazing uh, thing to for somebody to earn. It's not a title I aspire to, um, but in the in-person community, sometimes the title of master will be conferred upon a member of the community because of their dedication to the community. Um, perhaps um, they, you know, have taught classes repeatedly or weekly, or they run a um, a discussion group, or they run a munch, or they host a play party, and but typically those people who are given the title of master by by a community have really dedicated a good chunk of their lives um, to the community and giving back, sharing their knowledge, sharing their experience, um, being there to listen, offer advice. Um, and it's a, a fantastic honor for those that want it. And um, everyone that I've met in my journey who has have that title of master bestowed upon them um, by their community, they haven't expected others who don't know them um, to refer to them. You know, if SpongeBob, say, for example, SpongeBob um, and Patrick, uh, they, you know, taught classes three days a week for 20 years and the community started calling them, you know, Master SpongeBob and Master Patrick. Uh, they might be flattered with it. And, of course, they would have a consent to be called for that. You know, consent plays a part in all of this. Um, but if you just met uh, Patrick or you just met SpongeBob, you know, at your local munch, um, they wouldn't expect you to call them, you know, Master Patrick or Master SpongeBob. That would be something that they would want to earn from you. It's something that you would have to call them, even if others at the table were saying, you know, Master Patrick. Um, so it's a red flag because the typically the men who assume the title of Master Online or want to be addressed as Master Online, what experience has shown is that these uh, gentlemen are often undereducated in the lifestyle and are using the title of Master to sort of gloss over or cover their um, their educational shortfall. And it's sort of a red flag of somebody either trying to fake it until they make it or somebody who is just um, playing a role to try and score some good old-fashioned kinky sex. Um, so it should be something that we, we look at um, with a bit of a wary eye. It doesn't necessarily mean it is 100% a red flag. Uh-oh, this person's wanting to be called master or calls themselves master, it's a, okay, we need to be careful. There could be some issues here as we get to know them, uh, especially if they want to be referred to as master and you just met them, or they just slid into your DMs and they're like, you know, you shall call me master SpongeBob. Okay, then we have, we might have a problem. Um, and the other thing, now that we've kind of talked through the the bits of roles, is if you are newer and so many people come to the lifestyle and as soon as they sort of get their, dip their toes into the water, they immediately fall in love with the role. 
it's it's very human of us. I mean, it's it's sort of like taking me to the ski shop. I am going to fall in love with a pair of skis right away. It's just how we as humans work. You know, we sort of, oh, I really identify with this. I've barely tiptoed in, but those skis, those skis are amazing. And I want them. Um, it's human nature, but when you're new, uh, my advice is don't immediately put a role. You know, don't put an identifier on yourself. Um, if you're asked, say that you're you're new and you're undecided, you're learning, you're exploring. That way, because as human nature goes, uh, using myself in the skis as an example, if I walk into a ski shop and I see a pair of skis that I really like, like the latest offering, say, from Rosignol, really sort of has me excited, uh, I'm going to want to learn more and more and more about that set of skis. And that is going to keep me from learning about all the other different brands and choices that are out there that might be a better fit for me because I am fixated on that those nice, bright, shiny Rosignols. So take the undecided role so that way you don't get yourself where you are learning more about less and less. And when I say learning more about less and less, I'm not saying that learning more about the lifestyle is bad or the more you learn, you, you know less. Um, that's not the case. It's just how we as humans work with our knowledge. Once we sort of latch on to something, we typically want to learn more and more about that specific thing that we have latched on to, which means we are learning more and more about a less varied um, field. We are sort of hyper-focusing in on that proverbial tree in the forest. In this way, if you're undecided, you can take your time. You can weigh your options. You can explore submission. You can explore dominance. You can explore being a switch without the hyper-focus um, that comes with coming and going, oh yeah, I'm here and I'm dominant. I know it. I don't know a thing about this lifestyle, but I know I'm a dominant. And so I think it's very important to start with the undecided role and just explore, and your role will find you. Um, you know, sort of like Harry Potter and and finding your house. You know, it will. Um, you know, the the kink sorting hat will sort you to your role appropriately. Um, the other thing about roles is none of these are set in stone. So if you come to DS and and, and the, the the kinky sorting hat says that you are a member of the submissive house, and then two years into your journey, you're finding that you're curious about some things going on over in the dominant house, you can explore that. And if you find that being a dominant is more your jam, you can say, hey, I am now a dominant. You are not locked into your role. That initial role that we feel as our home, it may evolve. You may change, and that's okay. You are not you are not locked into what is often a decision we make early on in our journey in the lifestyle. The other bit that I want to explore is when we meet somebody, especially now that the the roles have evolved from that that original triad of three. And there are so many subgenres and sublineages out there for roles. 
it can be very easy for us to apply, okay, this person identifies as, for example, a daddy dog. Therefore, they must be into age play. Uh, this is a common assumption. And we all know what happens when we make assumptions. We make asses out of ourselves and the other person sometimes as well, not just ourselves. So rather than assuming, uh, ask, what does that mean for you? Because even something as basic as what is a dominant or what is a submissive, if you privately ask 100 different people in the lifestyle, 50 submissives and 50 dominants, you're not going to get the same answer from each one of them. There will be themes. Of course, there will be constant themes that you will see repeated throughout this. Uh, but everyone is going to be unique. And that uniqueness is something that um, we'll talk about this a little, a little bit later in the in the series. Um, but that uniqueness and being authentically yourself, that is one of the keys to having a successful, a lasting lifestyle relationship is not being the kind of submissive that, you know, these memes are everywhere. A real submissive will do this or a real dominant does this. Uh, it's being yourself rather than trying to be what others say makes a real whatever your identifier is. So that uniqueness is so important and that uniqueness is going to evolve over time. We're always, you know, we're humans. We're always growing. We're always changing. We're always in a mode of growing. Uh, my little personal motto is I try to be a better person today than I was yesterday and tomorrow I'll try and be a better person than, you know, than, than I was now. Don't always succeed at that. You know, sometimes I slip and fall and have to start, you know, 10 steps back and start going back up the ladder. Kind of like that children's game shoots and ladders. Sometimes my life goes down a chute and I've got to start climbing back up a ladder. But no matter what, don't lose your uniqueness. Um, what makes you unique? Run with it. Embrace it. Um, yes, there's going to be commonalities between other people that that, that share your, your role in the lifestyle. But Whatever it is that makes you, you, embrace that and run with it because that is truly one of the keys um, to building long-term success in a relationship. So please don't ever forget that. Now, there are some common misconceptions out there about roles. And we, once again, we could have a marathon podcast talking about all the misconceptions that are out there. Um, but I want to just touch on three, one for each of the traditional triad. And the first one that gets me is um, that dominants are always dominant. In all aspects of their life, they're always dominant. Uh, there is a song. Um, I enjoy Bob Dylan's music. Um, I've been lucky enough to see uh, Bob Dylan in concert more than a few times. And I've learned that there's a good Bob Dylan and a bad Bob Dylan. Sometimes you get the good Bob Dylan where he enunciates his words. You can clearly understand his his lyrics and he's into the performance. And then you get the other Bob Dylan where it's me, 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 me. I was like, you know the song, but he's sort of like humming, garbling the words. Um, so 
Anyways, Bob Dylan has a song that says, everybody's got to serve somebody. And this is so true. A dominant isn't dominant all the time in their lives. There are people you have to serve. Um, there are things you have to do. Um, being dominant means at times in life you have to be submissive. Um, the myth that, you know, dominants are sort of alpha males slumping their chest and always in charge and always, no, it's, it's a complete myth. We all live in the world. We all know where we have to, you know, sort of bow our heads and, 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 and submit whether, and however, wherever that happens for everybody, we all have to be submissive at some point in our lives and at various points in our lives and various places and times and what we have going on. So that's, that's a, a little pet peeve of mine there. And the other one for submissives is that somehow being submissive means that a person is weak. And I think it takes more strength and courage to be a submissive than a dominant. And now, Perhaps you heard some screams in the background of some dominants um, who are very upset by that. Uh, but for me, I think it takes much more strength to trust somebody to consensually say to them, I trust you to make these choices for me and I will follow your decisions on these choices. Uh, that takes incredible, incredible strength. And that is not weakness. I think being dominant is perhaps a bit easier um, um, than having to put your trust and faith in another person and then following the decisions that they make on your behalf. So then we come to switches. And this one just keeps growing and growing and growing. Switches are indecisive. Uh, one of the guys I ski with, um, somehow it came up a few years ago, um, but one of the guys I, I ski race with um, is a switch. Amazing what happens when it's 40 below and you're on a chairlift, and I believe I made some sort of snarky comment about, I don't know, somehow something lifestyle related, which he caught and point blank turned and said, hey, that was kind of BDSM-ish are you like a BDSMer? And I'm like, oh crap, how do I answer this guy? Um, and I thought about it for a second. I said, well, you know, yeah, I kind of am. And he's like, oh, me too. He's like, my wife and I were both switches. And it's like, whoa, hey, just met the other person. We've been friends. And perhaps that's part of the reason why we got along so well, get along so well. And anyways, the thing is, is that switches are indecisive. Oh, you know, one day they wake up on the right side of the bed and they want to be dominant. The next time they wake up on the left side, they want to be submissive. And actually switching is amazing. When you see the dynamic with somebody who is a switch, it's amazing how they can seamlessly roll from being submissive and roll into a dominant role. And it's all sort of about that mental vibe, that connection and what's going on in the world and the energy that's going is it being exchanged between the people allows the switch to move into either dominant or submission. And it's very, it's very amazing. And for most switches, it's seamless. There's not a light switch that goes on and off. It just flows. 
It's that flow of energy. So it's very much not indecision or that they just want to say that they're a switch so they can explore kinky coitus with dominance if that's what they're in the mood for, or they can uh, they can explore kinky coitus, you know, with submissives if that's what they're in the mood for. It's not like that at all. Uh, now, are there people in the lifestyle who misuse switch to do sort of take advantage to get what they want? Absolutely. It's just like any place else in the world. There's always there's always somebody out there looking for a looking to take advantage. Um, but in general, switches are not, and it's not something that flows out of indecision or a secret desire to to have both sides of the the DS coin. It's just it's how they react to the flow of energy between people and partner and partners, um, or their partner. Um, so it's it's not like that at all. I think the most important thing to remember about all these roles is that they're all consensual. No matter what role you're exploring or what role you've chosen or how you've clicked in your partnership or partnerships, it's all consensual. Everyone has the ability to say, um, you know, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. We all can consent. We can all revoke consent. We can change our boundaries. We can uh, push our boundaries back. We can move them forward. Uh, we can explore some of our soft limits, and we can change a hard limit to a soft limit or a soft limit to a hard limit. We all have consent, and everything that happens is by consent. Uh, so I think it's just important that we have this conversation about roles and what they are, and most importantly, to ask other people, what does that mean to you? Because once again, we're all unique individuals, and to have that lasting relationship, being authentic in our roles is super, super important. So I hope this helped you understand a little bit about VDSM roles without making it sound like I was reading from from a kinky dictionary going, okay, we're going to talk about daddy doms, and then we're going to talk about traditional dominance, and blah, blah, blah. That was what I didn't want to have happen, and I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, if you do have any questions regarding roles or anything else, um, please feel free um, to ask them. No matter where you're listening, you can scroll down and send me a voice message. Um, unfortunately, you are limited to just one minute, uh, which might take a little bit of speed talking. You might have to kind of play auctioneer, um, and I'd be more than happy to answer them. And if you're so inclined, um, please also feel free to include like an email address or maybe um, who you are if you are on socials, so I could answer you that way, or, you know, more than happy uh, if an anonymous question comes in to to answer it here on the podcast, even if it may not be a perfect fit for uh, what the next episode in line is going to be. Um, and speaking of that, next week we're going to continue our 2024 BDSM Odyssey. Um, it's still weird to me to be saying 2024. I know it's almost February, uh, but it's still weird. Anyways, um, next week our Odyssey continues, and we're going to be looking at safe words and safety nets in the lifestyle. So last thing, 
please, no matter where you're listening to me, whatever platform you listen to for your podcast, go ahead and click the follow button if you haven't already. Um, that way you'll be reminded whenever a new episode of Chatting with the Lightkeeper drops, which, by the way, is weekly on Tuesdays. So thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to chatting with you again next week.